Hey, welcome back. It's Heather. Just two quick notes before we get started here. First of all, this is part two of the two-part Triva episode. So if you have not listened to part one, please hit pause, roll on back to last week's episode and listen to that one first. Second thing is next week, which will be the 30th of November, there will not be an episode. There has been a lot going on in the world. That's a little bit heavy. And also just a lot going on in my business. So I do need to take a very brief break. So it'll just be a one week hiatus and I'll be right back at you in December. I heard curiosity. So is the work more along the lines of, I'm interested in this, let me explore its origins? Is the work, let me explore my origins? What What is kind of the, are there steps, I guess is what I'm asking. I suppose there could be steps, but we want to be careful not to be too linear because that's the dominant culture, you know, thinking and what we need to do. So it's, it's often like a spiral for me or it's a little bit more messy. Um, but yes, you can come at it from any direction. You can come at it from, I want to reduce harm that I'm causing, right? Which is awesome. Um, so you can learn at it from that perspective. You can come at it that you're curious, but I think you need, if you want to, especially if you want to have a right and be in right relationship with indigenous people in, in on this land on Turtle Island. And let me be clear, if you're on Turtle Island and you're not indigenous, you're, you come from colonizers or immigrants or, you know, something like you're not from here, you're on someone else's land. Right. And so we need to honor that. We need to acknowledge that truth. And when you delve into your own history and even go down to your own indigenous roots and you and you have some uh, of your own grounding in the land and the stories and the in your own rituals and traditions right when you have that and you start practicing those again a little bit it's then you can actually um, understand and be able to support and acknowledge and respect indigenous people here right like it's like we almost don't have a frame of reference and so when we can be authentic and when we can just do that work and be curious about it and does it doesn't need to be perfect right it doesn't there's all different ways to do the work we explore many different ways of doing that work but if you do that then it's easier for you to respect and understand where indigenous people are and like where they're coming from and their perspective and how to honor that and you also do a lot less harm so I'm trying to think of how to collect my thoughts here. So I was just thinking of what you were saying, that we all trace back to some type of indigenous roots, right? But then I would say as a, uh, as an immigrant um, from Africa, I would say that I wouldn't classify that for myself, right? And so then in, in listening to you and thinking that through... I thought, okay, North America or Turtle Island is considered indigenous people. Then we also, which we very seldom talk about, talk about that in context for South America as well. And then we also talk about that in context with Australia, mostly because Australia was a British penal colony. And that's where the Caucasians came from that inhabited that location in in Australia. So North America, South America, and Australia. However, we don't really um, address Asia Europe and Africa in that. And I guess in a way I'm trying to decide when we're referring to indigenous people globally, what does that mean? And do we have, is my perception of that even based on just my educational system here coming from the United States? Yeah, the way, I mean, even the way I'm talking about indigenous people is very North American and very like American centric, right? But 
all of us have indigenous roots all over the world because, and this goes back far into prehistory. Okay, so before agriculture, everyone was a hunter and gatherer, right? Every people, no matter where you were at in the world, come from a hunter and gatherer culture, right? And on, on often they were animist in their religious and tradition, you know, in their beliefs and their spiritual beliefs. And so you can study in what an animist, and I'm not an expert at any of this. So like, I'm just a very curious student and we explore this together. There are lots of people out there and I can't name them off the top of my head. that are great resources for this kind of work. But from what I can say, an animist, which I would actually consider myself to be, is someone who just believes in like the the words escaping me, not an energy, if you will, but like the everything has a spiritual, the rocks, the plants, the, the you know, everything has significance and everything has an energy or a spiritual, a spiritual, I, I don't essence. I, I'm really, I kind can't of think the of the concept word. of mother earth basically. Yes, yes, right. So of, yeah. showing appreciation for the things as they are created and just by function of being how intrinsic it is to our life. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah. And so, you know, you can explore those different belief systems, right. And see if anything sparks for you, you can look back at the food you know, the plants that come from the area of the world your ancestors have come from, right? You can, there's stories and there's songs, often in the music, right? Uh, it comes through a lot. So what instruments were used? And um, there's different prayers. And a lot of it, like once Christianity came through, because we need to understand that Christianity was something that came through and uh, kind of it as a colonizer as well, right? It came through and changed and it often just put its beliefs on top of whatever was already going going on in the in whatever area that it was taking over and so would you have the day of the dead right let's just talk about that like that's all saints there's also all saints day or you know all, all hollows eve those kind of those kind of things like those predate christianity right like the concept of those beliefs predate christianity but um, in, in Catholicism has taken it on, right? And has taken on those rituals and those beliefs, right? So often we can find things that are deeper and older and, you know, in some of the current things too that, you know, that we believe in these systems. So what you're saying, basically, if I can kind of reinterpret it, is just getting back to kind of regardless of your race, ethnicity, where you came from, getting back to a place where in humanity, we really were dependent on on the earth for what she was. And we were working in smaller communities. And those communities weren't, you know, it, basically, they were just small groups of people that were separated and scattered. And, and then kind of just getting back to that feel. Is that basically kind of the crux of the work? Yeah, I mean, it it informs everything though, right? It informs the relationships you have, how, what inner interdependence you have, which the more independence you have, you have, um, uh, you have more resiliency, right? And we're, what we're, we're going through a climate, a climate crisis right now, right? We're, we're going through all these upheavals and changes right now, right now. So, you know, no one say we have to go back to live in, you know, in caves with a hundred people with, with a fire and no technology, even though there was in, indigenous technology is often sustainable, which I would say is actually more intelligent, but, but we can start to think about how we live in community. We can start to think about how we're respecting the things around us, how we need it to live in a more sustainable way and how we can do that. You know what I mean? Together. 
and also this need that we don't need to um, steal from other people, right? Like we can research our own stuff and then fill ourselves up with those wonderful uh, stories and traditions, right? Without feeling the need that I need to go and like pay to go do something. Because often when you go to do that kind of stuff, it's not even a person from that culture that's teaching it or offering it, is it? It's often, I mean, here in America, it's, you know, when you go to a yoga, it's often a very, you know, it's a white woman. This is very stereotypical, but it's more common. It's a white woman teaching a yoga class who hasn't even taken anything from an instructor that's that that's based out of India or anything, right? And so that's what I mean. Like we just take things and we take the meaning and the worth out of them, and it's harmful. And so we can we won't we don't need to do that when we are more informed and we have our own when our when our, we're already filled up. So I want to okay. I think what I'm getting out of everything that's being said, and correct me if I'm getting it wrong, because I I'm trying to sum it up in kind of a pretty box, which I generally hate. But this is I mean, listen, like a lot of what we talk about, these are big. So the last thing I want people to do is be like, dude, that's way too much. I can't handle it. It's like beyond my scope, right? I work nine to five. I come home. I have kids. I, you know what I mean? Like it's a lot. And so I, I don't want it to go to the wayside because it's, it feels like it's too much. Um, so if, if we were to boil it down, it comes down, it seems like, to being curious and exploring your own heritage. And once you explore your own heritage, you will one, have a bit more of a humble nature and a bit more of appreciation and understanding of other people's. And therefore that is part of the healing process for everybody. Is that, am I wrong? That is a beautiful, pretty box. I mean, that bow is just exquisite. (laughs) And I just, I'll say one more thing. When I, when I teach stuff about this, and so I'll reiterate it to your audience, we, um, urgency is a trait of white supremacy, right? So that sense of urgency we get that we got to do a lot. We got to do it right now. We have to do it. Perfect. Perfection is also a trait. I mean, we have to do all these things, right? We need, we need to let that go. Like, and that's a, that's a, that's a lifelong learning process because this is really instilled in us, right? So what I do for myself and what I do what other people I'm working with is we pick one thing, literally one thing. I'm like, at the end of us working together after three months, I say, what's one thing in your home or that you practice that you feel you might be appropriating instead of appreciating? Because let's be clear, you should appreciate other cultures. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we can go through that distinction if you like. But and we just work that we do one thing, right? And so and we get to and as we work through this, it's like, all you have to do is like, maybe with um, in North America, there's a lot of holidays coming up for people, right? Maybe this would be a great time for you to talk to your family about any uh, one recipe, right? Just one, right? That might be an old recipe from the old world or you know whatever your, your families would say or from here, wh- wherever. And have fun with that and maybe share it with your family, right? And just have fun with it. And then just do one thing. So we don't want to overwhelm ourselves. And this isn't something you can do all at once. And this is lifetime and generational work. It feels like, and I definitely want to talk about this distinction between appropriation and appreciation, but it feels like it's almost, and maybe this is like white nature. So that could be it. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about people that in my in my family that have done it but like we have you know old old cookbooks and old recipes uh from family and we're changing those because we want them to be healthier or because the language is not what we want so 
it feels like in some ways it is a natural function of society to adapt and change. Is that something that you because it because it, it, it also feels like there's a desire to keep things how they were. Yeah, that's the um, that's go ahead and say it. we're not we're not being we don't need to be binary. Right. Like we don't have to have either or we can have and both. Right. We can have this great recipe and I'm going to make it the way it was made just because I'm honoring my ancestors and I'm honoring our lineage and my literally in my bones and my blood have tasted this food. Right. And you're igniting kind of that remembrance. Right. And you're in that joy and that celebration. And maybe you don't eat that way the rest of the time and that's fine right and and maybe you have a health condition where you have to substitute and you're just conscious about that right and you acknowledge that and you move on you know what i mean it doesn't have to be this thing and it and it yeah things do change and we do have to um we do have to adjust and and i think a lot of us are doing that now like i think we're all like I mean, I'm just talking about as an American who's lived here for the last six years, who came back to be a part of like a more like very hopeful, like progressive, like a uh, wave of people coming that I want to be a part of this positive change for our country and then having everything that's happened. And I, ha- I have a son who's a black father, right? Like you can imagine like how hard it's been to be here and how it literally traumatic um, and having health care issues, being a single mom housing issue, like all, all the gamut, what most people are dealing with, we have to, a lot of people are realizing that the way we're living, right, and the systems we're living in aren't supporting us anymore. doesn't matter where you're from, right? It doesn't matter what color skin you have. Th- these systems aren't supporting us anymore. And the narratives that we're living with, that we live in these nuclear families and we just pull ourselves up by this bootstraps and you're solely responsible for everything that happens to you. We we kind of all know that that's not true. And yet we're trying to figure out a new way or an old way or, a, you know, we, we blending of the ways to move forward. All right. Let's talk about this whole appreciation versus appropriation, because I, I honestly think that this is, a, first of all, a super important topic. I think that a lot of people have varying opinions on what is what? And I'm super curious about what your take is. Well, I use an inquiry method. So there is no right or wrong answer because everything is individual and we all have different experiences and we all have different, we all come from different backgrounds, right? You know, I talk about a lot about lineages and DNA and all that kind of stuff, but we also, I mean, some people are adopted. Some people are raised in families different and they grew up with a different culture. That's all a part of who you are, right? So we want to, I want to acknowledge that. Um, so when we think about the difference between appropriation and, and appreciation, I ask myself two questions. Okay. The first one is, is this item or belief or, you know, practice, is it of religious nature, right? Is this a spiritual or religious practice of a people, right? Especially presently. For me, that's a hard stop. It doesn't have to be a hard stop for everybody. But for me, personally, I've just decided that's a hard boundary. I'm just not going to dabble in or have icons or anything of other religious relics in my house. And what's funny about this is that Nina has firsthand experience with me doing this. <laughs> so we went to India and we went to the Taj Mahal, which y'all, it was hot. <laughs> we were dripping with sweat. I know our pictures look good on there, but 
<laughs> Let me tell you how hot it was. And, you know, of course, we were, Nina and I were a part of a tour, right? So we had booked this package. Nina had found it. It was great. So every day we had stops. So, you know, everything was kind of pre-planned for us. And, and so they took us to this place that sold things from the same marble that the Taj Mahal was built from. And for some reason, and you can tell me, I had in my mind that I needed to get a Buddha because I was building a tiny home. That's another whole episode. Um, and <laughs> there's a whole reason I was doing that <laughs> before I knew it was cool. Um, and I had the, this bookshelf with these little square bookshelves. And I just wanted this Buddha because, man, that would just bring the feelings of... Um, you know, calmness and whatever. And I can remember my trip, right? Because I didn't like to buy a ton of stuff. Um, so I would just buy usually like a Christmas ornament in my travels, right? So I didn't buy a lot of things. And this boot is a whole story. Like I couldn't take it back to Saudi. I was still in Saudi at the time because they would compensate it. So someone on the tour who ended up being really cool literally took it back in their luggage. And then uh, she had a family member who came out to visit her and they brought it back to call, uh, North Carolina. And then I picked it up, right? So this, it's like a saga. It was like a group of people doing this. I did all of this to have a Buddha and I'm not Buddhist. And the reason, and, and probably should clarify the reason why you couldn't take it to Saudi. Oh yeah, because Saudi is a Muslim country and they're very strict about any other um, religious stuff. Symbolism. uh, Yeah, symbolism. Thank you. I mean, you could, if you were a Christian and you were coming and have like a personal Bible, but you probably have to tell people, like you'd have to talk about it to the customs people if they found it. So it was a very, like you couldn't have liquor or pork or any other religious stuff. They were just really strict there. Okay, so I have this Buddha, right? (laughs) I'm not Buddhist. I'm not from that part of the world. My ancestors weren't Buddhist. I'm not from India. Like, none of that is, you know, anything to do with me or my culture. And I had this idea, right? And, you know, I ended up, it ended up in my bathtub in my new home that I share with my partner, which later finding out is horrifically, like, disrespectful because it's dirty. It's in the bathroom. Like, it's not where you would place a Buddha statue. You need to have it up high. You need to. So my point being is that for me, I just decided this is a hard stop for me. Like, unless it's something that I, it's from my own lineage. It's from where I grew up, right? It's something that I currently practice. I'm just not going to have it in my home. And I'm going to respectfully make sure I rehome these things to people who it actually can belong to. So that's the first question. The second question I ask is then, is the culture that this is coming from directly benefiting? And this is the true key of uh, cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. So let's just say, for example, you want to have um, a piece of a, a dream catcher, because that's so many people have these things, right? So many people have dream catchers, right? Well, first, um, you should probably know what a dream catcher is and why you would have it, where it actually comes from. And then if you have one, display it appropriately. But the biggest thing is, did you get it from an actual Native American artist, a craftsperson? So it directly benefits that community where that tradition comes from. And then, yes, you should have one. That's fine. You've, you've it's directly benefit. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. It's not extracting, right? It's, 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 um, you know, um, I had another person who talked about Navajo wind music and how wonderful that was for them and how it was so very helpful in their journey. If they had a health issue and, you know, and I was like, well, instead of buying that stuff on Amazon or whatever, you know, 
maybe you can find an actual artist from the Dene community and purchase their stuff directly so that their community and themselves are directly benefiting from that exchange. And so that's really the, the difference. It's not that we can't have things from other cultures. And I would even say, please, especially for indigenous people, like, please go out and buy from indigenous artists, please. <laughs> right. They, they, we need that investment and the community needs that appreciation and that investment into the community. But please just make sure that you're buying it directly from indigenous people and you understand what you're getting. You do a little bit of due diligence so you can be respectful in how you display it or how you use it. So I am going to bring up something that might make some people hate me, but I'm going to be honest about it. And I and I am aware of it now. And so I've corrected. Can we just say this is a shame free space? Oh, I don't have shame. I'm but but what I the reason why I want to bring it up is because I think I'm like a lot of people that might be listening. And it's I guess that's what I'm saying is like, let me explain to you how I learned and maybe you can learn through me. It's the white sage thing. And interestingly, I've had sage for a long time. So my niece is like, well, it better not have been white sage. And I was like, I don't know what kind of sage it was. So so I go down the rabbit hole and I'm so glad that, I mean, I have the coolest nieces and nephews. I don't know how they know all the stuff that they know, but it's amazing. So I go down the rabbit hole of exploring and I... I wish that I had done that to begin with because there is this, there is a very clear and distinct reason for it. And so what I found in my research is that a big piece of why the white sage is an issue is because it's take it's grown in very specific lands. It's being stolen. It's being over harvested and it's being sold by places like Amazon. And so these cultures that have had this on their land and cultivated it, they're they're not even they're not even not reaping the rewards. They're being straight up stolen from. And so it, obviously the, the actual the use of it is a different story. You know what I mean? That use of it is a different story if we're just simply talking about the product. And now I know. So when someone says don't use something, it's not just because it's like it's mine. You can't have it. No, it's not about that. So I I, I appreciate what you're saying. And I think I also have Buddhists. I appreciate them a lot. And I, and I, you know, whether anybody wants to dispute my appreciation versus appropriation, they can have that conversation with me. But I do try to look into, especially now that I've had so many of these conversations, explore what you have and understand where it comes from. And to me, that's the difference. But I also don't know that, you know, I know that everyone else has different opinions. So I think it's important to take those into consideration. Yeah. And I, I think it's really important that we really listen to marginalized voices on this because they're the ones that are so often not listened to. Right. And like for your example with white sage, like it's so, this is such a complex thing. And so many people use it. I was just an, I ended up in Whole Foods somehow the other day and literally it's there. Whole Foods is selling it y'all. So, you know, and I think about like, there's so many layers to it and you have to find the layer that's comfortable for you. And right, everyone will have a different opinion. But if you know where it comes from and you understand ethical harvesting, you know what I mean? And you can, um, there are some indigenous people who sell it, um, but you should know that in indigenous traditions, uh, white sages become a very pan Indian kind of thing. Um, 
you know, it's from a very small region in Southern California, right? But it's, it's being used more now by many Indigenous people, you know, who couldn't use it uh, legally before 1978, right, with the, the Indian Religious Freedom Act. So, so that's just something to keep in mind is like, when we're using these things, and we're doing these things, literally, it was illegal, right? for people to use it in the way they've always used it for thousands of years, right? It was like they had to hide it, they, you know, all that stuff. And so, so it's, it comes across as very, like, that's just another level of like disregard or disrespect, right? That could come across, right? When you're, when you're doing that, but there are indigenous people that sell it. However, in indigenous culture, it's not worth it. It, it, it doesn't do the work it needs to do if you buy it. It has to be given. And so it's a gift economy. But if you think about it, that makes sense because a lot of indigenous cultures here and, and all over the world, frankly, but here was a gift culture, right? And and um, giving was the more you could give, the more honorable you were. It wasn't how much you could hoard or have. And so it's just a different like of way of viewing the world there. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of nuances on these things and the more you can learn about it. But the also is like, when we know better, we do better, right? And that's, you know, that's the best we can do. I think there's a lot to be said as far as that goes, because specifically the problem, kind of what you're saying and you can say whiteness, American culture, because frankly, at a certain level, just living in the United States, we're all to some degree guilty of it. A lot of things happen. And I think part of the issue is not necessarily knowing that it's been appropriated, right? And so not knowing the boot is kind of something that you do understand. Um, and another one that feels like probably should be like a no shit Sherlock thing, but really isn't, is the whole spirit creature, spirit animal thing, right? So the spirit animal idea became so mainstream and so widespread that I picked it up and didn't think two seconds about it because of how prevalent and pervasive it was. And so part of that, just like a lot of other things, a lot of vernacular that we use, then we do understand the history of it, even nursing rhymes, things like that. What happens, I think, is that there's two different ways that we can take it. So for example, when somebody brought it to my attention, why that could be problematic, then I stopped. But it was hard because I already kind of emotionally invested myself in that usage a little bit, just because it it was something that I would say, I can't even remember the things I would say is my spirit animal or creature, but usually it was videos of somebody doing something. And I'm like, that's my spirit dog or whatever. So there's the there's the revulsion of being told that you're doing something bad when you never had those intentions. And then also, there's just kind of the human nature of not wanting to give up something that you've had that you didn't have bad intentions with. And so and, and that also goes a lot with vocabulary, right? So you just don't you're like, well, my intention was never bad. And because my intention was never bad, I shouldn't have to give up this thing. And I've personally really had to do a lot of work with that because it doesn't matter, <laughs> which is something that Heather likes to say, it doesn't really matter because you're, like you said before, with marginalized groups, you're literally saying that your feelings on the matter really aren't important enough for me to give it in any weight or concern. You have to ask yourself why that is. It's such a, such a tough subject because, so we, we can use this term when you know better, you should do better. Cause let's be honest, not everyone actually does. Um, so when you know better, you should do better. But there's also a lot of truth to you don't know what you don't know. We have been programmed in a society and in our own homes. And if our own homes weren't 
culturally aware or competent, then we're repeating patterns. And then like Nina said, when we can only hope that like for me, this is honestly me saying like, I hope that people will call me out. I hope that they'll also do it kindly, (laughs) but I hope that people will call me out because if you don't call me out, I'm probably going to keep doing it. And if it's harmful to someone that it, and it's not my ever going to be in my intention to be mean or harmful or disrespectful to someone, how am I going to know until somebody tells me? Yeah. And not with anger. Cause like you said, I, I really do think that for me personally, I really try to make sure that I, I don't express it in that way. But I've also been met, like, I still have a friend to this day that I remember when I tried to tell her her black face wasn't okay that she did for what is it? The Walking Dead, right? So she did, I don't know that lady's character because I don't watch the show, but the lady with the dreads, she did blackface with it and she got a lot of pushback and she was fighting it, which is kind of what I was telling you. I have that internal struggle too, but like she refused to back down. And then I tried to privately have a conversation with her about it, but then I felt like she just absolutely couldn't hear me after and i'm not saying that people were wrong how they approached her it just was more harsh than i would have been but then it it felt like she dug down and then she couldn't she couldn't listen from there well i think that also stems from uh you know the dominant culture feeling like they have a right to comfort right so that's something that we all have to grapple with right like the right to comfort and so you know some of these things we can be angry about and maybe that isn't the best way for someone to hear it but it's it's not always on me or other people to have to portray it always in the perfect way because that's also very you know that's very problematic but when i do this work i'm doing it with you right like we're all i'm grew up in Amer- as an american in in a you know in iowa it, in these same exact systems we all live in, right? Like there's no way I could get away from that. There's no way any of us could get away from that. And so trying to do these, like trying to have some people that you can be really authentic with, that you can have a shame-free space with, that you can be honest and be willing to let your defense, you know, your defenses down a little and just be willing to be curious about what it, you know, what you can change or what, how you could, reframe something you know that you might do or say can be really helpful and i think if we all just did that we all had these you know a group of people that we really felt comfortable with and that we knew would call us in if we needed it you know what i mean and and knew that we could be really authentic with and share things that we're a little bit nervous about putting out there that we might be causing harm and and i think that's why i do the work i do because people don't do that. They don't take from all these other places if they're already feeling like they're, they have a rich tradition, right? If they feel like they have a rich background and they're feeling supported and they have all this cultural, you know, abundance, right? Then they don't feel the need to do that. And so that's why I come at it from that angle. I I definitely want to emphasize that more. And I think I'm helping indigenous community in general more by doing that approach, right? Of helping all people, regardless of where you come from and whatever, be able to tap into that. So then there's less harm. And and I also want to say, um, I always just say less harm because we're never not going to cause harm. We were raised in this culture that's very harmful. And so it's silly for us to set us up on a pedestal to expect that we would never harm anybody again. Like 
that's just already setting us up like, hey, I'm going to do less harm, which means I'm going to harm. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have to apologize and move forward. I'm going to have to consider things that are uncomfortable. I'm going to have to be uncomfortable. And I think actually that's the crux of like, Nina, what you're talking about, like, because so many people think they have the right to comfort. Right. And so many people don't have that that perspective. So if we could just get people to be open to that idea, I think that would go a long way to moving things forward in many areas. Yes, 100 percent. There's this and I don't quite grasp it or understand it, but there is definitely you are absolutely right. There is this idea that like everything is supposed to be clean and pretty and neat and and easy and that freedom is somehow free like nope sorry honey never was never ever ever in the history of ever was that the case but we're working on it right <laughs> so <laughs> so let's one step do- and one day at a time exactly yeah. this is and this is you know uh what do we say Gr- grassroots you know little by little our small groups. All right. So let, let's do the final three questions. Cause I mean, honestly, we could really keep going for a very long time because there's a lot to talk about, but let's do the final three questions. One, what is the one thing you wish more people knew about healing generational trauma and dismantling oppression in indigenous communities? Mm, um, that it's not just in indigenous communities. It's our whole, it's everyone that's on this land needs to do the work. Cause we all like, we all have massive intergenerational trauma. I mean, European Americans like have massive energy. People were mean to other people back then, y'all. Like, like you just, you know, you can read about it. Colonization happened there too. There's a whole. That's a whole. That's a whole other episode. Okay, so so the, the the main thing is is knowing also that it's in our bodies. So I like to think like if you've never heard of somatic work, look it up right? Like, just look it up, like, just talking about it or being intellectually like read a book. That's great. Like, don't get me wrong, like, intellectually getting some of this stuff is important. But actually working this stuff in our body and um, is such a important tool. One of the one of the best things I did was do a book study, a year long book study with a book called My Grandmother's Hands by Resma. I can't remember the last name off my top of my head. And it basically is a guidebook for white black and police police officers believe it or not um, of how to work through anti-racism work through somatic practice so it's just it was just such a good um, study group for me to be in because um, I just really got a lot of that somatic grounding so I would say that is that it's everyone needs to do the work not just indigenous people (laughs) everyone needs to do the work of processing our own intergenerational trauma and we start doing that in our bodies that makes sense to me because we are tactile and and we do hold stress in our body. And we all know that because stress is a killer, but we don't connect it that way very often. So Treva, here's another favorite question. Five words to describe yourself. What are they? Are oh, you really killing me now? Um, <laughs> I've had this exercise where other people have said it. And the number one, they were like caring. And I'm like, really? I guess I am. Um, <laughs> um, I'm. I'm talkative. Um, I do care greatly about people. I'm. I have a. I guess what you would call a positive disposition. Like, I am f- more happy and smiley. Uh, it's not just my fake American, as like everybody from not America would say. Like, I have to tell people, no, that's actually my personality. It's not just my fake American. Two more. I need two more words. Two more. I'm killing not gonna let you go. Me. Killing me. A feminist and a mother. Okay. That's five good answers. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And you know what I just realized when you said feminist? 
We did not even go down the misogyny train. We are going to have to reconvene. So uh, let's not go down that train because that's way too much. Where can people connect with you? Where would you like to send them to connect with you? Uh, well, I have a website, uh, mini, as in like a lot, minitreeslifeway.com. And I'm on Instagram under my name, Treva slash Woods and or underscore and those are two of the main places i have a newsletter that i occasionally bump some stuff out uh it's on no schedule it's whenever the spirit moves me uh that i write um and it's literally on there because i can't stick to a schedule to save my life to for writing it doesn't happen um but those are the main ways to uh, get to yeah to find me okay perfect we will put those in the show links for everyone to connect thank you for all of your time we went quite long um much much appreciative uh a Appreciated. Much appreciated. I can use correct terminology sometimes every once in a while. You're fantastic. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for teaching us some things that we didn't know before, Treva. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal, as always, is to inspire you to think more deeply. And I hope the conclusion of today's conversation with Treva did just that. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed on today's episode are our own. We encourage you to do your own research and come to your own fact-based conclusions. Don't forget to check the show notes where you can find links on how to connect with Treva. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Diversity on Fire. And don't forget, until the end of this year... Any five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast will get you a free mug with our logo on it. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. And please, share the show with everyone you know so more people can join in these important conversations. So it's, it's often like a spiral for me. Or it's a little bit more messy. 